Let's start our study this morning where Paul read in uh, Luke chapter 16 where it deals with the subject. I stole this title from Malcolm and Alwyn, Time Will Tell, Heaven or Hell. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then I said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. This is a story of the rich man who lived and died without God, It moves us into the realm that we know little about. In this parable, the Lord passes from this world to the next without making any break at all. Although we cannot penetrate the curtain between the life and the next life, our Lord speaks of the next world as naturally as he speaks of this life. There were only four men who ever spoke with authority concerning the other side of death. The Lord Jesus, Lazarus, not this one, um, John, who was given the revelation, and Paul, who was caught up uh, to the third heaven. This morning, we'll take a look at what God's word teaches on the subject of hell. We will expose those false teachers who deny the existence of hell, we will see that there's a different degree of suffering and levels in hell. Our text this morning, Luke chapter 16, I'd like to reread 19 through 24. There was a certain rich man who clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his feet desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was, the beggar died, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment in Hades, 
he lifted up his eyes and he saw Father Abraham and Lazarus in the bosom. Verse 24, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Notice two things here. The lost go to a place of conscious torment. Also, people know each other after death. We do not lose our identity. He was fully aware of who he was. He was fully aware that he had family on the other side. He was fully aware that he could see Lazarus, and he was fully aware who Abraham was without any introduction. The word hell um, is the Greek word Hades, meaning the unseen world. It will help us understand this parable if we realize that Sheol, or Hades, translated in hell in the New Testament, is divided into two compartments. Now let me just say, uh, and stop and tell you where this place actually exists. Uh, Jesus said as Jonah was three days in the uh, belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hell is a literal place that exists in the heart of the earth. At this time of this reading, there's two chambers. So we find um, Abraham's bosom is in, a, in this place, and there's a place of torment. Now, paradise was emptied when Jesus took with him at the ascension the Old Testament believers If you're taking notes this morning, you want to jot down Ephesians 4, verse 8 through 10, before he ascended into heaven, what does it mean he first descended into the lowest parts of the earth? And he led the captives captives. And we've talked about this many times. Matthew 27, 52, where after his resurrection, many of the graves of Jerusalem were open, and there were those that actually walked around. Um, uh, paradise is where the Lord took the thief on the cross he said today you're going to be with me in paradise well the Lord didn't rise and go into heaven for three days because it's three days in the heart of the earth and I'm sharing this only to point out that it's a physical literal place but there's only one chamber today that actually exists and that is where the rich man is Lazarus has been resurrected And these Old Testament saints um, um, are now with the Lord. All who stand at this, uh, the place of torment, hell, will eventually be delivered up uh, for judgment at the great white throne judgment. We'll be there this morning. All who stand at this judgment are lost, and they will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now, the Bible teaches there is a place called hell and the reason that it was created. Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 25. I'll give you a, a moment to get to there. 
I'll throw this in while you're turning. I'm pretty sure it was C.S. Lewis who said if there was one doctrine that I could take out of the Bible, it would be the doctrine of hell. He says, of course, I can't because the scriptures speak so clearly and directly to the subject. And I can guarantee you very few churches around the country this morning are having Bible studies on hell. Probably a good place for an amen. (laughs) Unfortunate. William Booth, who I'll close with this morning, saw this coming um, in the late 1800s and spoke about it quite uh, categorically. So if you're in Matthew 25, verse 41, I want to point out one of the aspects of hell is that it's eternal. So Matthew 25, verse uh, 41 Um, This would be at the second coming. Verse 31 tells us that uh, um, he will return with all of his holy angels and he will sit on the throne of his glory and he will bring the nations and he will judge them. Well, who are these people? Well, this is after the great tribulation. When the Lord returns, what do you have? You have people who made it all through the seven-year tribulation. Some of them became believers in Jesus Christ. Some of them took the mark of the beast. Uh, We'll go to uh, Revelation chapter 14, and I'll show you exactly what happened when the angel makes this warning. But these are those who made it through the seven-year, but we're ready now to enter into the next thousand-year period of time called the kingdom age. So he's got to separate those who are saved and those who took the mark of the beast. So I'm not gonna read the first part because these are the ones that will go into the kingdom. Now I'm gonna read those who took the mark of the beast and uh, picking it up in verse 41, then he will also say to those on his left hand, depart from me you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why was hell created? For the devil and his angels. For I was thirsty and he gave me no food. I was hu- I, and I was hungry and he gave me no food. I was thirsty and he gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not um, come to me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. In prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer and say unto him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and we did not minister to you. And so he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. These will go away into everlasting punishment by the righteous into everlasting life. Jesus clearly is stating that there is this place of torment. This is not a parable um, because it has a proper name. Parables do not carry proper names. This is a literal story. And um, one of the aspects that I want to point out, and if you just think about it, the reality of it, you know, we had um, Al Stallman went to be with the Lord this week. We had his funeral on, uh, on Thursday. And one of the things that we talked about during the the study um, is the reality 
of living forever. And I told everybody here, everybody here is going to live forever. That's not the question. The question is, where are you going to live forever? Um, this is flesh. Second Corinthians 5 calls it a tent. And um, it'll grow old like a tent and pass away. But you have a spirit and you have a soul. Dr. Rawlings was tell, talking about experiences that people could have. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to show it, because uh, um, there are ways, and I'm glad he mentioned them. He forgot TM, Transcendental Meditation. But he did uh, talk about hypnosis and um, uh, the psychedelic drugs and the Kundalini spirit that might be over the head of some of you. You might want to Google it. Carol Matriciani does an excellent job explaining it. But all of it, um, some of you old-timers, Remember the song, Timothy Leary. He'll take you up around the bend and then bring you back again. He was uh, the doctor in California that was promoting LSD. Oh, so through psychiatric, uh, psychiatric, <laughs> psychedelic, <laughs> um, there are experiences that you can have outside the body. That's one of the reasons I wanted to play Dr. Rollins this morning. Here, my point is that it's eternal. And it's eternal because you're eternal. But it wasn't created for you. The Bible clearly says the Lord is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Picking it up in verse 42. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble... That's what's happening today, my friends. I can't believe, literally can't believe. At men's prayer, we were stunned by um, some of the things that they're allowing our first graders to hear. And um, all I can say, it is very, very late right now. Um, And they're causing them to to stumble. And the Lord said it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown to, to the sea. And if your hand makes you sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than to have two hands to go into hell. Into hell there shall, and that will never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now we'll deal with the doctrine a little bit later that teaches just the opposite. But here the Lord clearly is saying, um, if verse 45, if your foot makes you sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell fire, into the fire, again, he says, which will never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye makes you sin, pluck it out, for it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, repeating again where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with uh, fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. So here the Lord um, gets into talking about the timeline. It's eternal. Hell will go on forever and ever and ever. Um, let me throw in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at this time. 
it talks about different kinds of bodies. There's a different kind of, of stars. There's moons. So there's different celestial planets. And he says, so it is with the body. There's a spiritual body, and there's a physical body. And some would think, well, if you're thrown into hell, then it's all over because you'd burn up. No, there are spiritual bodies. The rich man, tongue, was in thirst. He had his spiritual body that was not consumed by the fire, but it was a continual torment that he had. Now the Bible teaches that there are different levels of suffering in hell. Um, Let's start with this one with Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to begin with the good guys, or the ones who at least think they're good. And my point here will be different degrees of suffering that the Bible clearly teaches in hell. Matthew 23, 33, the Lord is, the whole chapter is he cannot handle the hypocrisy of the religious leaders who see no need of repentance. They're they're proud people who have never repented. Why? Because they actually think they're good. And so we'll start with them. And this is what the Lord says in verse 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Let's just take away the Jewish Pharisee aspect of it and let's apply it to Christianity. And uh, the guy who gave his testimony said, I really wasn't that much of a bad guy. I'm just an average guy. Um, And there, I I think the um, Gallup poll that I heard is if you ask that, average person if they go to heaven or hell, they'll say yes, over 50%. And when asked why, because they say I'm not that bad of a person. In other words, they're equating their own righteousness to be the determining factor whether they're gonna go to heaven or go to hell. Now anybody who knows their Bible knows that's not biblical in any way, shape, or form. So here, let's start with the good guys. The Lord says, how do you guys think you're going to escape the, the, the judgment of hell? So now I'm talking about nice guys. Everybody here knows somebody who's a nice guy. You say, well, he's just a nice guy. And being a nice guy, he doesn't equate himself with um, a really, really bad guy. And so as he compares on the scale, I'm not that bad, I'm better than him. And therefore, thinking God judges on a curve somehow, he's going to make it. Again, a lack of knowledge of the scriptures. Religious people, Lord, Lord, we did this for you and we did this when we went to church. And he says, yeah, but depart from me. I don't know you. You were never born again. Never had that personal relationship with Jesus. Turn with me to Luke um, chapter 13. Back to Luke. And we'll look at chapter 12 too. But first Luke 13 Again, making the point that we were in just a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning, I don't remember, verses one through five. There were present at that season some of those who told him about the Galileans who blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or what about the 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless there's repentance, unless you agree with the scriptures, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that are good, no, not one. Amen? Well, that's what the Bible teaches. Our heart tells us something else. And um, I'm gonna quote this scripture often this morning because of this thing right here. There's a way, Proverbs 14. There's a way that seems right unto a man. But that way is he ends in death. When we let our own emotion or what we think come to in conflict with what the word of God teaches, I'll tell you right now, you are always wrong and the Bible is always right. No matter what you think. Um, especially these teachers and professors today, professing themselves to become wise. They become fools because of their intellect. It says pride puffs up. And the intellectual is proud of his intelligence. And he thinks he knows better, even better, and makes his own judgment rather than saying, feelings, get out of the way. Why say that? Because it says your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? My heart, I got a good heart. It does good things all the time. Yeah, well, if it does, you better say praise the Lord in the back of, of your uh, mind because there is nothing good in you. And if something good does come out of you, you have to give the glory where the glory is due. Another good place for an amen. We are all the same. There's not one person here different. Two categories. Just like in Matthew 25, those who have repented, those who have not. The religious people would not repent because they actually thought they were good. But Jesus says the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going to go to heaven before them. Why? They know they're sinners. They don't have to be persuaded of that. They're well aware of that. So in... Um, let's go back one more chapter, Luke chapter 12, verse 41. About different degrees of suffering in hell. In verse 41, Peter said in chapter 12 of Luke, Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord answered and said, who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his master will make ruler over his household? to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and to drink and to be drunk, the master of that servant will come at a day when he's not looking for him at an hour he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the un, 
believers. Now notice verse 47 and 48. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will will be beaten with many stripes. I have, um, you want to underline many here. Now in contrast, verse 48, but he who did not know yet committed things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with fewer. For everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, he will ask the more. Here we clearly see um, different levels of of, uh, suffering. And um, let's turn over to the book of Hebrews. Paul talks about it to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Let me draw your attention to verses 26 through 29. And the context here is the danger of going back to the old ways in the world. So Hebrew chapter 10, verse 26 says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment, notice, and fiery indignation will which devour their adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy and the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now this is what you want to underline. Of how much worse punishment that is clearly indicating different levels of suffering in hell. Um, Much more punishment. Do you suppose shall he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counting the blood of its covenant by which he has sanctified a common thing. Eh, The blood of Jesus eh, means nothing to him. And insulted the spirit of grace. What I have underlined, much worse punishment for those that do and um, were turned back. He said of Judas, when all was said and done, He said it would have been better if he'd never been born. Better if he'd never been born than to walk with Jesus for every day for three years and then knowing um, that he was denying him. So as we look at the scriptures, it clearly teaches different degrees. And my question as I thought this through this week, that just makes sense. And I thought of our own judicial system. So I started Googling some things. I wanted, I wanted different levels of judgment in our judicial system that we have. So I thought, what would be an easy one? So I thought, how about shoplifting? So I Googled, what is the penalty for shoplifting? And it says it varies from state to state, but if it's under $100, you'll probably get fined $250. And it'll vary, but somewhere in that category. And I thought, okay, let's, let's go to the other extreme. Let's talk about a very serious crime. Let's talk about first and second degree murder. First degree murder or premeditated, thought out ahead of time, planned out the whole nine yards. A first degree or premeditated murder 
um, can carry a life in sentence prison or depending what state, even the death penalty. Second degree murder, usually lengthy prison sentences, depending upon the circumstances of the crime. What's your point, Dwight? If we in our own judicial system understand different levels that match the crime, how much more a holy God who sees everything, every thought, every deed, every action, does not make his judgment and determination if they're lost on the degree of suffering. So now we're going into areas we talk much about heaven, but I don't ever remember giving a Bible study on the different levels of suffering, but the Bible clearly tells us, and to me, it, it makes perfect sense. And so, if with different degrees of suffering in hell, let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. The rich man said that he was in torment in flames, yet he wasn't consumed. In Revelation 14, God always leaves a witness. In the Old Testament, it was supposed to be Israel. Sometimes they did good, sometimes they did bad. Uh, When they rejected Jesus as the Messiah, the Lord says, you're not gonna see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he handed the torch of witnessing over to the church where we are to go into all the world and be witnesses during this period of time that we call the age of grace or, or the church age. It has a beginning, Pentecost. It has an end, the rapture. What do we do in the meantime? We're supposed to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Another good place for an amen. So, but then we're taken up, but the Lord always leaves a witness. So who shows up right after the rapture of the church? Oh, two witnesses talked about in Revelation 11. The two olive branches prophesied in the book of Zechariah. Their prophecy is for 1,260 days, and then they're killed. And But they... God always leaves a witness. Now they're the witness, that witness to the world. But they're killed. So now who does God use as a witness? Well, here it is, Revelation 14. I was going to read just the third one, but let's read verse six. Um, We have an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. I believe this is how the gospel goes to the whole world. Jesus said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached unto all the world and then the end will come. What I find interesting is the linkage between all the world connected to and then the end will come. There are those today who believe that Jesus can't come back until the world is Christianized and then and only then can Jesus comes back. My friends, if that's the scenario, the Lord's never coming back, okay? Because it ain't where the world we're living in. Just the opposite. There's a falling away. Does the Bible predict a falling away? Absolutely. Okay, so now the second angel, uh, another angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, the great city because 
Uh, she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented, notice, with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended forever and ever. There is torture through smoke and fire, and it is eternal. And they will have no rest. I actually went and listened to a couple more of these on YouTube and one of the points that one of them made is that you'll never be able to go to sleep in hell. And he quoted this particular verse. They have no rest. And um, the idea of wanting to sleep, needing to sleep, but never being able to sleep. People, you know, as a kid, we used to talk about, oh yeah, hell, and we would blow it off. Just one big party, can't wait to get there. We'll just get it on with our friends and we'll party hardy. And we were, of course, naive, stupid, and um, had no idea what we were talking about. Nothing could be farther from the truth. It's called outer darkness, and you're alone with your own thoughts. And you're gonna have to think about your thoughts and what you did. Like the rich man, concerned only for himself, until the awareness, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm in this suffering by myself. And all of a sudden he has an awareness and consciousness for his brothers, probably never did before. They will have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast in his image, who receive the mark of the beast. I, I brought you here, I want you to turn back to um, uh, Revelation 9. Remember the demons that were cast out of the demonic man in the land of Gadarene? And they entered uh, the swine? Remember what they said before they entered the swine? Please do not send us to the abyss. They feared it. They did not want to go there. The abyss is another place, the Urbuso, for hell. Uh, The torment and suffering that's there, they're very aware of. Now I can't tell you why some are incarcerated. Jude, verse six says, some are left in reserve for the day of judgment in hell right now. But yet there were clearly one third of Jesus' ministry was casting demons out of people. And they had access to the planet. I have no answers for that, but that's what the scriptures teach. Here, in Revelation 9, um, the, to me, Revelation 9 is one of the weirdest chapters in the Bible. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, having a key to the bottomless pit. Well, how can you have a bottomless pit? Well, if you're in the middle, then every place is up. It's, it has no bottom. You're right in the very, very middle of it, so you can't go any farther down or you'll be going up again. Is everybody following me? So the idea of the bottomless pit is where this place is located. 
but it's also supernaturally sealed. And an angel opens it, verse two, of the bottomless pit, and smoke arose. Well, what's he all saying? Where there's smoke, there's what? Where there's smoke, there's fire. But not only that, but we have, coming out of the smoke, a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth to them which were given power as the scorpions of the earth. I'm not going to read all of the description. You can read that on your own. But they're demons. How do you know that, Dwight? Because it says they have a king over them in verse 11. The proverb says that the locusts have no king. Why? Because they're driven by the wind. They don't march in ranks. It's whatever way the wind's blowing, that's how the locusts get from one place to another. Not these guys. These march in order. And it says they have a king over them of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, it's Apollyon. And so we have, in Revelation, clearly, this pit containing demons that will be released um, to harm men, their sting will uh, be like that of a scorpion, and they'll want to die, but they can't die because of the pain. That is weird, if you ask me. They try to die, but they can't die. Their spirit won't leave the body. And that's, um, um, I won't get much in depth there, I'm just gonna leave that with that. But again, um, Let's, as long as we're in Revelation, go to Revelation chapter 20. And again, just show the reality of what the Bible really teaches, that there is this place that's eternal. Revelation 20, uh, picking it up in verse 11. Now, this is after the 1,000-year millennial reign. The next two chapters are going to be about eternity, about heaven. We only have two chapters that really deal with the subject of what's gonna be after the thousand year kingdom reign. So we're gonna rule and reign with him for a thousand years. We read that very clearly in um, uh, verse five, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. So after that period of time, we have the great white throne judgment. Now. The rich man is in Hades, Sheol, or hell. The Bible teaches he's still there. But after the thousand-year reign, death and hell will be emptied, and these men and women will stand before what we call the great white throne judgment. Let's pick it up in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. It was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, except they weren't dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. What are in the books? Anybody here who's a bookkeeper, accountant? Um, employee that deals with statistics and whatever? Your job is to get the facts down. Well, God is a good bookkeeper. 
And he has kept account of every thought, every deed that you've ever spoken, and it's all gonna be recorded in a book. I personally, my personal feeling is there's gonna be a visual of it too. It's not just gonna be the book opened, but it's gonna be like that chick track, this was your life. (laughs) For those of you who remember the old chick tracks, and it shows everything that they'd ever done, and now he's standing before the great white throne judgment. And he can't deny any of the accusations that were there. It's all written down. And so the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. Might I stop and say here, why the Bible and Apostle Paul is so adamant about salvation through works. And he makes the case, if you're gonna do works, you're gonna have to be perfect. Or it's grace. One cancels out the other. Either it's works that you're saved by, or it's grace that you're saved by. Here, they were judged by their works. I do not wanna be judged by my works. Anybody else besides me? No, 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 I'll take the grace of God hands down any day. By these things that were written in the books, their works. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades, here it is, hell, delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. Now, when you're reading the seven letters to the seven churches, one of the promises that he makes to one of the churches, and off the top of my head, I'm not bringing it up, but one of the, he gives promises to each church. He said, you'll be kept from the second death. It doesn't explain it, it just says it. Here, it explains it. The second death is having died, gone to hell, resurrected to stand before the great white throne judgment, all your life exposed, every thought, every deed. And then when the guilty verdict is handed down, then it says they were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and this is the one that's eternal. And anyone found not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now we could talk about the book of life a little bit, there's two thoughts on it, is that when you're born, your name is put in a book that you exist, the book of life. And that's another promise. Jesus says if to one of the churches, he says, I will not blot your name out of the book. So the idea there is that when you're born, um, your name is there and it won't be blotted out. The other thought is that when you receive Jesus, as your savior, then your name is put into the book of life. And I'm not gonna argue one or the other. The point is that if your name's not in the book, they were cast into the lake of fire. Now, let's go back to Luke chapter 13. I hope we're establishing some truths about this place called hell. That is that it's clearly taught in the Bible. Jesus spoke about it more 
than anywhere else. There are some videos out there that are very persuasive that I've listened to. And I stand before you this morning because I watched one of them where I went in skeptical, but everything the guy said backed up with such scriptures that he was so sharp. But what he goes into, because he was there for 23 minutes, I gotta tell you, it shook me to my core. And then he started giving verses of men of God who have had visions that um, uh, shook them to their core to fear and trembling because of what God showed them. This man was a Christian, but he checked out for 23 minutes and the Lord gave him a vision. And then he gives you all the scriptures of godly men who had visions that terrified them. And then when I found out wherever he speaks, he doesn't take any money. He won't take money. He only wants to tell his story. That, to me, gives a lot of credibility. There's no alternative motive. And so, but what he does is he describes in great detail for 23 minutes his own personal experience in hell. And I gotta tell you, it scared the hell out of me. And um, I think one minute, just one minute, who was it? I think it was Spurgeon, trying to get across the reality of hell to his children, took him to um, um, an iron factory where they have um, cast iron, where they melt it down, so that he could show his children the reality of, of what hell is. And we think, why would you ever put that in your kid's mind? Well, because the Bible clearly teaches it. And if you're gonna teach them the whole counsel of God, you can't skip over hell, even though we want to. Like I said about Spurgeon, or uh, Lewis, he says, if I could take this doctrine out, I would, but I can't. Can any of you here stand up and say, all right, Dwight, you just read a lot of scriptures about hell. Anybody here wanna take that? page out and rip it out and throw it away? I don't see any hands going up. Why? Because the last thing the Bible says is anybody that adds to or takes away any of the words of this book, the things, the, the things described in this book will be added unto him. And um, hell is a reality of such anguish and torment that if you could experience it for one minute, you'd be thinking of your lost loved ones, that they would ever go to that place. And we'll come back to that. Luke 13, verse 28. Luke 13, verse 28. Lord says again, um, verse 27, he will say, I tell you, I do not know you uh, where you're from. Depart from me, all you who work iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom and yourself will be thrust out. How do you describe weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Um, Just let your imagination uh, try to take that in. The degree of suffering, that's there. It's actually repeated in Mark, Matthew 8, Matthew 22, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Luke 13, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth um, repeated one, two, three, four, five other times. 
in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has 66 chapters. Chapter 66, the very last verse in Isaiah says this. This is how Isaiah chooses to end his book. Isaiah 66, 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched, and there shall be abhorrence abhorrence to all flesh. This phrase, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, is repeated three times in the New Testament. And um, that one's back in Mark 9, 44, 46, and 48. Again, Jesus spoke of hell more than anybody in, in the Bible. The Lord did. Yet, now we're switching gears. Yet, there are those today who deny there is a hell. Let me again, this is a good scripture to jot down. It's Proverbs 14, verse 12. It says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. I'm gonna talk about three or four different um, men that have influenced the church greatly today and their denial or their explaining away of what we just had a, a Bible study on. Um, there's many. I'm limited to only name some of the more well-known ones. I'll, I'll start with um, um, Paul Young, the author of The Shack. In 2007, he held to universal salvation for all. We call that universalism. The idea of universalism is that everybody gets saved. Well, they began to call him out and put pressure on him. And using scripture in 2014 on a YouTube interview, uh, he did not hold universal salvation for all, or at least he said he didn't think so. Back in 2017, three years later, in this book right here, um, Lies Paul Young Believes About God, he reinstates goes back and he affirms that universal salvation is for all. Now, because of the title of the book, and I can't spend much time on this, <clears throat> uh, the author of The Shack took our friend, James B. Young. I actually endorsed this book, by the way. And um, uh, he thought it was slanderous. And uh, believe me, he made a lot of money writing The Shack. And so he got this book taken off the shelf. And uh, he called me up and asked him, he can't sell this one, he had to put a different cover on it. He asked me if I wanted them. I said, I'll take them. And uh, so uh, you can have one this morning for free. They're on the table. Why? Gang, you need to be educated on who we're fighting against. Doesn't any great general or commander say know your enemy and know their tactics? You better know your enemy and you better know the tactics, and you better know what, what, if somebody uses the word universalism is, what does that mean? Well, he'll explain it to you, and it won't cost you a penny. And you can pick one up um, after the study. We find um, uh, the other one, that's universalism. 
uh, let's just use Rob Bell. Um, Here's a direct quote from his book, Love Wins. He says, the damned will have opportunities after death for salvation. And eventually, a God of infinite love wins out. And everyone will be saved. Hell will be emptied, or the realm of the separated lost will be emptied, and everyone will be won over by God's love and be saved. You know what I have to say about that? The heart is deceitful above all things, because this is all about the heart and allowing it to go into here. And he leans on his own understanding. How could a loving God ever do that? Well, He's letting his own pride get in the way. Another major shaker in in, uh, the church today is Brian McLaren. He wrote a book called The Generous Orthodoxy. And um, in it, he he is so slippery, but bottom line with him, he also holds that a loving God could never send anybody to hell. Then we have another term. I hope you're taking notes. This one's called annihilationism. And I'm just going to read a brief description of what annihilationism is. Annihilationism is the belief that unbelievers will not experience an eternity of suffering in hell, but will instead be extinguished after death. For many, annihilationism is an attractive belief because of the awfulness of the idea of people spending eternity in hell. While there are some passages that seem to argue for annihilationism, a comprehensive look at what the Bible says about the destiny of the the wicked reveals that punishment in hell is eternal. A belief in annihilationism results from the misunderstanding of one or more of the following doctrines. The consciousness of sin, the justice of God, and the nature of hell. In relation to the nature of hell, annihilationism misunderstands the meaning of the lake of fire. Obviously, if a person being cast into the lake of fire, a burning lava, he or she would instantly be consumed. However, the lake of fire is both physical and spiritual realm. It is not simply a human body being cast into the lake of fire. It is human body, soul, and spirit. A spiritual nature cannot be consumed by physical fire. It seems that the unsaved are resurrected with a body prepared for eternity just as saved are. These bodies are prepared for eternal faith. 1 Corinthians 15 says exactly that. There's a physical body and there is a spiritual body. All right, let's begin to wind this up this morning. Back to Luke 16. We left off in verse 24. Let's read 25 through the end. The first 19 through 24 was about hell. Now the reality sets in for the rich man. Then Abraham said, son, remember that in your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us, there's a great gulf fixed so that you cannot pass from here and we cannot go to there. All right, reality sets in. There's nothing I can do about the situation. I'm here forever. But yet he's still aware of people on the other side who have not died yet. 
And now he says, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that they may, we'd say, witness to them, lest they come to this place of torment. My friends, again, if you for one minute saw hell, your idea of witnessing would be radically changed for the lost. Abraham said to him, well, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, the Bible. Let them hear them. And he says, no, Father Abraham, I know my brothers. They're, they're not into the Bible. They don't buy it at all. But if one goes back from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will be persuaded, though one would come back from the dead. Many people believe that multitudes would repent if someone returned from the dead to tell them what it was like. Well, someone has come back from the dead. His name is Jesus Christ. They did not believe him any more than they believed Moses and the prophets. Do not delay in making your choice. There will be no opportunities after death. In other words, no second chances. Bible says, once to die, and then the judgment. The body is merely the physical house in which we live. At death, we move out of our old homes. Uh, You can do anything you want to with the old house after it is deserted, but the important thing is, is what happens to the spirit after it has left the body. Where's it going? Heaven is a place, and the moment you die, you will either go there to be with Christ, or you will go to the place of torment where you will ultimately be judged and cast into the lake of fire. The point that God never intended the latter end for anyone of the human race. The lake of fire was made for the devil and his angels. You choose your final destination. There is a great gulf fixed, our Lord made that clear. You must make the decision in this life where you will go after death. You do not get a second chance after that. I'm gonna close with a one paragraph sentence from William Booth. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. Here's the article here. We printed up hundreds so that you can take one home. I wanted to spend more time on this, but I'm already well past my time, so I'm only gonna allude to it, that it's out there free on the table with this. The title of it is A Vision of the Lost that William Booth uh, had, uh, founder of the Salvation Army. And um, here's his quote, and I'll close with this this morning. This is... um, William Booth, let's see, 1829 to 1912. This is prophetic. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Did he get that right? That was over 100 years ago. We must stand up and pray.
Lord, I pray for your word this morning. I hope it rattles some people's cages that are flippant about the topic of hell. I pray this morning, Lord, your Holy Spirit, as your word tells us, save some as though by fear. And Lord, may it compel us as believers to realize that this is a place that is eternal and that we have loved ones that are gonna go there unless we at least make the attempt and do our pleading now uh, for them, to try to reason with them. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the Gospel of Luke, needing to deal with the subject of not heaven this morning, but hell. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That was over 100 years ago. We must stand up and pray. Lord, I pray for your word this morning. I hope it rattles some people's cages that are flippant about the topic of hell. I pray this morning, Lord, your Holy Spirit, as your word tells us, save some as though by fear. And Lord, may it compel us as believers to realize that this is a place that is eternal and that we have loved ones that are gonna go there unless we at least make the attempt and do our pleading now uh, for them, to try to reason with them. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the Gospel of Luke, needing to deal with the subject of not heaven this morning, but hell. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.